just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting for over two decades. She doesn't look it. She's disrupting the way recruiting and HR work. But why are we talking to her today? We hear every day that companies of every size and industry across nearly every state are facing unprecedented challenges in trying to find enough workers to fill open jobs. And we've had a lot of layoffs, right? The latest data shows that we have over 10 million job openings in the U.S., but only 5.7 million unemployed workers. Right now, the labor force participation rate is 62%. It's down from 63% in February 2020. Now, that's 1%, but when you're talking about big numbers, Mm -hmm. that's a big percentage. It is clear that able workers are being overlooked or sitting on the sidelines. And there's lots of reasons, but today we're going to discuss one, maybe more than one. But part of it is that HR recruitment today is automated with no real understanding of who the candidate is. How can they be authentic? Our guest today is disrupting and helping HR understand what makes a human really marketable. Clients like Erickson and Amazon are listening to her and she tells them, enough already. Stop doing the same old things. Coming to us live from Oakland, California, please welcome our disruptor, founder at Corporate and Color Consulting, Jim Garcia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, Jim, let's get going. I want to discuss this whole HR thing. I want to really break it down. Before we do, I want you to tell us your foundational ingredient for yourself for disruptive innovation. What is that for you? Being authentic, being me. I think I spent the first 10 years of my career trying to be what corporate America told me I needed to be. You know, that is in every aspect of the word. And I finally realized I was incredibly unhappy. The personal note, I was a single mom and I never had time for my son. I mean, other than feeding him and maybe doing helping him with his homework. But I was just working and I have nothing, you know, no issue with working, you know, to the bone. I really kind of enjoy it, honestly, but I wasn't getting what I needed and I wasn't happy. And about 10 years, I got laid off from a company that recruited me heavily. And obviously I had all the emotions attached to it, you know, feeling betrayed and all that kind of good stuff. And I just decided to. I started to invest in myself. I made the decision to start to work for myself. I went inside internal recruiting and I actually got picked out by one of our previous clients and went in-house. 
And that was my first stint at startup and and all that kind of good stuff. And I just really realized that it was me and my value and my philosophies and my non-automated recruiting style that really got me to that level, you know, and making that decision, I almost tripled my income, you know, just in one decision. And it was just really like, kind of just ripping the bandaid off and saying, wait, I'm really good at what I do. And why am I trying to do something that makes me incredibly unhappy and doesn't really jive with me? And I had to put on a mask almost every day. And then I just realized, be you, be who who you are and, and bring that to the table. And the folks that you're supposed to work with, that'll happen. And the folks that you're not, you're not missing out on anything because you would have been miserable. That's a long-winded answer, but I mean, it's really that deep and it's really something that I scream from the mountaintops to anyone and everyone, you know, you're not going to do anyone any justice by trying to portray a certain kind of aura, whatever the case is, be who you are. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, you know, I think that's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But when you do rip the Band-Aid off and you mm-hmm. are really authentic, it mm-hmm. is totally free. It very much so. Very much I so. have heard other disruptors talk about this corporate culture. And of course, I've seen it, right? That people have felt like they've needed to be in a mold. Mm-hmm. And that mold can be very caustic. Mm-hmm. It can create an asshole environment. I have clients today that absolutely will not have that in their startups. (laughs) They refuse to do that in their startups. But we have this culture of AR that is, there's this paradigm shift happening. And I think the biggest thing, and you tell me if this is right, but this is from looking from an outside lens, right? I feel like HR has had certain processes and automations and things in place for such a long time. And it's actually been molded from military, if you didn't know that, military organizing boards to corporate. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But now we're, they're looking at things, things aren't working, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, they're being called on the carpet for not having enough diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. and they pick, you know, something that they think it is. And so they get on the bandwagon. Tell me what it's really like in HR today with all this diversity and inclusion. What's really going on? Shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't know how else to be more eloquent. My apologies. But it is exactly what you said. It's all of those things. And it's a front, for lack of a better word. You know, I'm sorry. I'm from the Bay. So I'm going to keep it as, as, as real as possible. It's all kind of like for show, you know, in the sense of, oh, diversity inclusion matters. I'm like, I've been in this industry for 25 fucking years and I'm I'm brown, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Mexican. I come from where I come from and I've been here. I, I didn't just pop up in the last two, three years, you know, a lot of what I've found in, you know, in all sizes of companies, like the last 10, 15 years, I've probably focused more so on startups. That's just because... That's what I enjoy. I I enjoy the environment, the challenge, the impact, all that kind of good stuff. And that's really fun because you get to kind of have those conversations right at the door versus in the midst of chaos, so to speak. 
Well, they're, they're developing their culture. Exactly. They're probably highly open to it. I, I mean, I know our clients are. They might be fast growth on great trajectories, but they are building their culture. Aren't they? Exactly. And, and I found what's really refreshing about that exact same point is that they are very open to it and they're having the conversations and they're asking, why am I not getting more DNI candidates? Why am I not, you know, this? And it's breaking things down to the granular level of analytics. And this is deep. <laughs> this is deep in the sense of like what I consult clients on is, you know, everything down to the job description, you know, not using absolutes because that doesn't appeal to women, especially women of color, people of color. We don't give me an be- example. Give me an example of that. Like not the- down to absolutes and what doesn't yeah. resonate with them. Calling yourself a rock star you know, putting that in job descriptions, what, you know, it doesn't equate, you know, mandatory, you know, degrees when so many times you don't need a degree. I personally do not have a degree. Don't get me wrong. I am not opposed to degrees. I paid for my son to get his degree for a lot of money. My point is, is that things have just been this way. And so kind of like drones, the rest of the society has just kind of followed suit. And not ask questions. So it's almost like they look at a resume and they look for keywords. Yeah. And and doing a buzzword search within the resume. You know, I've never been one of my biggest prideful things, I guess. I don't I don't know what else to call it. I've never been a buzzword recruiter. Never. I actually look at resume. I don't spend, you know, tons of time on it, but I actually look for the story of the individual and whatever kind of piques my interest, you know, I kind of go from there. I love um, this. Hold on one second. You said something yeah. really key. The mm-hmm. story of the individual. Resumes don't tell stories. They should. <laughs> I mean, they're so like cold. Automated. Yeah. Automated. yeah. Yeah. No, they're 100% automated. And that's, I mean, I don't want to derail, but that's exactly why I launched my company. But the story, everybody has a story, regardless of what your background is, regardless of education. We all have something that uniquely drives us that we uniquely have as far as gifts are concerned that equates to our value all of those things one of the primary keys of my recruiting is i believe content of experience versus years of experience what i mean by that is you see a job description that says you know five years of this that whatever there was one it was on linkedin i literally live on linkedin he posted, yeah, so I, I applied to this job and they said you needed three years of this certain language. And I don't remember what it was. And he's like, pretty funny because I created the language. I think it was Go. I don't remember. But he's like, it's only been out for a year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh my God, if I could like post that to the world and just say, but nobody's asking the questions. Nobody's pushing back. And as a recruiter, that is my whole mentality is that, I'm a true consultant. Recruiters should approach the job as being consultants in that you know the market, you know the candidate market, the client has certain needs and trajectories and goals and seats to fill, I should say. So then you tell them, okay, we want to do this and we want to, you know, maintain our brand and our culture and all these kinds of things. You got to do all the work at the beginning, you know, and you have to set the standards and the guidelines to be able to get what you need in the end. That's identifying the job description. That's identifying, you know, are you going to push back on me when I give you somebody who doesn't have a degree? Because frankly, they don't need a degree. You know, some of the best engineers that I've ever placed are self-taught. Right. And having those conversations and that kind of mentality of an engineer to me is amazing because they're literally like, I'm not going to let this 
computer win. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to figure this out. And that is literally the true depth. And they're some of the best engineers. Absolutely. Because they are self-taught. And because they think like that. They think like I'm providing a solution. I'm going to fix this problem. And that is what an engineer is supposed to do. So it's literally bringing all of that data to whoever your client is and letting them know, did you think about this? Did you think about that? And I'll ask the questions. Why do we have 10 languages on this? That doesn't even make sense as far as like the ability to do the work. I literally remember it was a startup in Oakland and uh, the founders were both from Chicago and they were in Oakland and long story short, they come from huge organizations, professional services, I think. And I kept on getting pushed back from the CPO in regards to candidates. And we were trying to build out, you know, a huge team. And he's like, I want to do talk to eight candidates and then make a decision. I stopped and I looked at the CEO and I looked at him and I just said, the VEI isn't going to allow you to do that. That's just not going to happen. You have to be appreciative of that. And I don't understand why you think you're allotted that time. You know, and he said, well, that's what we used to do at such and such company. I'm not going to name it, but, um, and I said, and how did that work out for you? I said, there is literally no data that says if you conduct more interviews or if you go through 10 versus five people, that you're going to get a better candidate. There's there's none. I've looked forward to kind of prove my point, if you will. And then he came up with, well, why do people wait for Google? And I said, first of all, what Google does doesn't work. And this was like three years ago. OK, I've never been a Fangs fan by no <laughs> means. I said, what Google does doesn't work. I said, if it did, they wouldn't have most of the job postings on LinkedIn. Have you ever thought about that? No, and tell me why that is. Why wouldn't they have it if it was working? If it was working, they wouldn't have any open seats, number Mm. one. Number two, they hire the same person over and over again. They do. They do. You know, and number three, they want to act like they're so progressive. But at the end of the day, look at how they handled their layoffs. That's the character of an organization. You know, you literally told people who worked for you for 14 years, okay, thanks, bye. That's like being married to somebody and just sending them a text and saying, I want a divorce. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) What do you think is it like the chicken, the egg? Do you think it needs to change with the candidate level or do you think it needs to change at the HR level? At the HR level. level. Okay, good. Because... Candidates could push back and they could be disruptive and they could be innovative and they could tell their story. But the percentage of those guys getting through, which I still think they should do it, but the percentage of the guys getting through is going to be less if we don't change the mindset of HR. Absolutely. And again, it's having all of those preconceived notions that this works and it doesn't. That is literally the telltale signs of doing things without thinking, doing things without having conversations, you know, as far as the market trends are concerned. I was consulting for a company, a robotics organization last year for about eight months last year until the end of December. And the market completely has changed from what it was six months ago, a year ago to, to then, you know, it was very, 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 very much so a candidate driven kind of situation. The salaries were different. Everything was just different, you know? And so I myself had to make adjustments to that and kind of figure out within reason, because I don't want to completely change, you know, how I go about things, but I definitely have to 
be open to what works and what not works and all those kinds of things to be able to get my client the results. So it's a constant readjustment. And what I find is that most companies don't make the readjustments or they think like now there's layoffs. So I should be able to get, you know, cheaper labor. People still have the same bills. Now, granted, some of the salaries were crazy, like just crazy. I was just like, I'm always pro-candidate. I'm always going to give you what you're worth. I'm not going to say, well, our budget is this and that. I'm very transparent when it comes to money because I would never want anybody to do that to me, you know. But at the same token, you have to play within the rules, you know, so to speak. And having the mindset that we're going to get cheaper labor because of layoffs isn't going to get you what you want. And at the same token, you have to remember within recruiting, it goes in ebb and flows. So what goes around comes around. I see so many times on LinkedIn recruiters, oh, I can't respond. I'm too busy. That's your job. What? You're kind of complaining because you have too many people reaching out to you. Like, I just was completely blown away. Okay, well, so then when the market changes, don't be surprised when such and such candidate isn't going to give you the time of day because I guarantee you that will happen. I've been doing this for 25 years. I've seen the, the changes and the ebb and flows and the just everything in between. And you just don't want to, number one, you don't want to blackball a recruiter because you don't want to break that bridge, I should say, because they will blackball you. They will. I have, you know, so you want to keep that in mind. It's bigger than just connecting the dots that are in front of you. A lot of companies and people within those companies, they don't see that. They're just doing one plus one equals two instead of, no, I need to get to 100. I mean, they have quotas. They have people that they have to hire. They have to fill these jobs. They go with what they think has been successful before. And now we have this DE&I thing on top of it. So they put another check mark in there and it's a token. (laughs) Let's talk about, at the end of the day, Hmm. companies are what? They're trying to make money, right? They're trying to make money. And we look at it, you know, people are human right? This is authentic. This is like diversity. This is inclusion. This is equity, right? But businesses look at it or should look at it from the viewpoint of, you know, they're going to make money. That's that's what oh, they absolutely. want, right? That's, that's the one thing that I always bring to my clients. That's my first kind of approach, if you will, is that the one thing that you can I can guarantee you with expanding on diversity and inclusion is you're going to make more money. And there's reasons for that. Okay, let's get to the reasons because well, it's not just one, a nice to have. No, it's actually vital. It's yeah, it's it's absolutely vital. Number one, it's going to increase your customer base because they're going to see. Oh, did you? The first thing that I look at is I look at leadership when I look at a company. You know, what does that look like? Because that tells me a lot about. It can tell me. I'm not going to say that if everybody there is male or white or whatever that they're not progressive. I'm not going to say that. Because I've come across those kinds of organizations with that kind of leadership, you know. So it's not like, well, if they look like this, then this this is what it is. That's being biased. So my point is, is that it's either gonna it's gonna increase your branding, which is huge, especially if you're a startup, which equates to more money and equates to being more attractive as an organization, which again equates to money. Every line that you go through, every reason for it equates to money. A huge thing that I uh, consult companies on, kind of go after it, like I call it a tripod effect, it's branding, culture, and diversity, inclusion. Because if you are conscientious of your branding, it's going to affect your culture and your culture is going to affect your DNI. 
It, and vice it, versa. Any one of those points would affect each other, right? Exactly. And that is the whole point. And so, okay, what's our branding? Who are we? Who are we trying to be? Okay, our culture isn't set up by leadership. Our culture is set up by our internal team. You know, and what is that? Have we asked the question? And I don't ask C-suite. I ask the, the actual the team members, you know, why here? What got you here? What are some of the things and the traits that you really enjoy about here? And it's like, Feel like I have a voice. I feel like I don't feel like I'm not welcomed. Just all of those intangible things are what make a company progressive and what make kind of things on the on an even playing field, if you will. And those are the things that attribute to why someone will stay there, even if they're offered a job that's ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars more. At the end of the day, people want to work with and within an organization that number one, they feel there's camaraderie, they feel that they're being valued, they feel like what they're doing matters, and they feel like they have a say. There's no paycheck that can equate that. Believe me, I know because I've worked at the Amazons, I've worked at the Corn Fairies, I've worked at the bigger organizations that try to throw RSUs and all that kind of good stuff. I'm looking at the end of the day, look at what happened. There is value in the intangibles. And that is literally what I lead with. Let's do a mic drop for that. There's value in the intangibles. What are the intangibles that you, do you have a checklist like that you tell HR professionals and startups to look for when they're doing their recruitment, when they're doing their job descriptions, when they're putting out their ads? Well, I go through the process. I don't come in and say, well, you do, this is wrong. This is, I don't do any of that. I ask what's working, what's not working. And sometimes it'll be like, Jem, we've had this job description out for three months and we're just not getting a level. And so I'll look at the job description and they're like, you know, we're getting no women. We're getting no folks from, you know, different kinds of backgrounds, you know, LGBTQ, any of that. And so, like, okay, so let's look at that and we'll look at it together. And I'll, you know, literally go through if you have words like rock star, if you have words that are attached to absolutes, like you have to have a degree, you have to have three years of experience, you have to whatever. All of those things are complete deterrents to especially women and especially people of, of color. Because now, why we, is that? Why is that, especially gonna, women and people of color? I'm going to say that because we women, especially women of color, carry this, I don't want to be found out. And it's tied to the imposter syndrome. It's tied to systematic oppression. It's tied to so many things. But where a man will be like, I only got two years of experience. And it's not even in connected with the actual role. But heck, it, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to apply. Where a woman's mentality or a person of an ethnic background is like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I, uh, uh, we will literally talk ourselves out of it. And that is absolute, you could take that to the bank, KJ, you can take that to the bank because that is one of the things that absolutely happens. I tell people all the time on LinkedIn, they'll post a job and I'm like, you may want to get this word out because it's not going to appeal. You're you're saying diversity and inclusion is important and your job description is shit. Who told you to do this? (laughs) The industry. (laughs) That's what I want to know. And who told you that it works? Again, they're like sheep. And this is where the automation comes in, not thinking, not questioning, not pushing back, not being disruptive. So you know? no absolutes. And that makes total sense. But who would have thunk? Exactly. Right? No yeah. absolutes. I totally get it. How do you pull out of a story, out of a resume? Or how do you get people to put their story in there? And why does that matter? Like, Break it down for me, Jim. I'm going to check up on my company. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, 
So it matters because everybody has special value. Everybody has unique gifts. If you're a project manager, there's something within project management that you may do really well. There's something that you may not do really well. As a recruiter, it tells me who you are. Let me give you a really quick example. So I had one of my first career consulting clients. She was a Puerto Rican native and her and her family had moved from Puerto Rico to, I think, I don't know, Seattle or somewhere. And it was after a huge, horrible tornado. You know, I don't remember when. And she's like, and then we had to move here. And then we had to move here. And she's like, you know, I don't want to talk about that. And I said, stop. I said, that tells me so much about who you are. Most people that move from one place into another have to be incredibly resourceful. And adaptive. Adaptive. They have to figure it out. They got to just kind of get it done. Got to meet people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She just looked at me. She's like, really? Because she was somewhat ashamed of this, ashamed of the fact that, you know, she had to move around and she was, you know, displaced, if you will. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, girl, you got You got to highlight that. That's part of your story. If I saw your resume, I said, I would hire you in a heartbeat because of that. Because it tells me about your character. And so many times people talk about skills. And don't get me wrong, those things are very important. But at the end of the day, I want to know what you do. I want to know what the impact of what you do is. That's all tied into your story. Like I said, you could be an incredible project manager, but you suck at metrics. Okay, fine. So then you give that off to somebody on your team. Everybody isn't good at everything. That's awesome. I mean, I'm writing this whole like, template for an ad here. It's like, like, you know, what is your story, right? What is your story? What, you know, how has that contributed to your special values, your unique Mm -hmm. gifts? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? It's totally okay to say what it is, right? Not everybody's great at what they do. What's the impact of what you do? Do people like to talk about what they're most proud of? Because that also tells a story. In the process of being a career coach, you know, I do ask them, I ask them three primary questions. I ask them, what do you do? What don't you want to do? And what you would like to do? And I keep that very open-ended for a very specific reason. Number one, because I'm not going to lead you to tell me what's important to you. I want you to tell me what you think is important. And sometimes what you're good at isn't what you enjoy and vice versa. I ask those questions on purpose so that you can tell me what's important. And if you give me I've had some clients who literally spend two minutes on it. And my rule is don't spend more than an hour because then you get into overthinking and that defeats the purpose. Don't do that. I want you just to kind of verbally vomit what you want to do, what don't you want to do, and what you like to do. Some people are like, I want to manage an apartment. I don't want to manage people. I hate babysitting. And that's a huge differentiator. And so understanding that and understanding what they do really well and what they want to continue on doing is incredibly important. So to ask, answer your question, once they get out of their own way, yes, because so many times I can't tell you and it does not matter the background of an individual. Jen, my biggest hurdle is that I can't brag about myself. It's not bragging. I tell my clients all the time, you need to look at your impact and what you do and build it out. It's like the color of your eyes. If your eyes are brown, You own it. This is just who you are. This is a part of your makeup. So it's not bragging. You're going to brag that you have brown eyes. We work to put all of this information in a very impactful document that they can speak to. It builds their confidence, kind of makes them look at what they do a little bit different. I say this to the nth degree. Own what you do. Own your accolades. 
own the value that you bring, own the gifts. A really quick side note, I just recently had ended with a VP client and he was overwhelmingly trying to prove that he was a guy's guy and he, you know, you, you could like him and he was human. And I was like, dude, tone it down <laughs> like, <stop. laughs> and came to the core of, I'm like, why are you trying to be this buddy? You're at a VP level. If they can't deal with your intimidation or they can't deal with how you get shit done, that's their problem. At this level, that's their problem. And you need to have no apologies and go about it. Well, come to find out that he had a mentor about 10, 15 years ago that told him that he intimidated people. And so he completely went to the to the dark the side. <laughs> yeah. And was like, I'm going to be everybody's friend. And I was like, that's not your job. Your job is to lead, is to strategize, and to get results for the company. Yeah, he probably just shed a ton of weight just by taking that fixed idea off of his plate, right? And he just literally was like, Jim, I never thought of it that way. And I'm like, well, you need to start now. You're you're a VP. You own, know you're it. So own, own it. Own it. Own what way. you do. Exactly. So I love it. Yeah. All right. So when did you have your like epiphany? When did you have your that's it moment? <laughs> Something's got to change. What yeah. was it? <laughs> It was when I got laid off from the company that recruited me and was working for an agency the first 10 years of my career. I had worked for recruiting agencies and went that route. I didn't really know that we had an option you know, to do anything else. Recruiting agencies is very churn and burn. I'm a person that the money will come as long as I feel valued in what I do. I've never been a dollar chaser in the sense of chasing after it to chase after it. And so recruit in an agency, it's always, you know, contract, contract, you know, put 30 people to work and move on to the next thing. And I was never good at that. Didn't care about it. I didn't feel like I was providing value. And this company brought me on to specifically drive their backyard business, which was startups in San Francisco. And there's something that I understood. I understood the culture really well. I understood how to get to the culture and understanding those questions and, and making those right fits. Because again, tangible intangibles provide value. I was dealing with other recruiters who were doing the buzzword searches. I've never done that. You know, I wanted to understand who these people were and whether a good fit and all that kind of good stuff. When I got laid off, I had literally just made the biggest placement in the company's history. The company was 15 years old, KJ. And I had just made the biggest placement. It was ridiculous. It was for a senior node developer, I remember. And everybody was just like, how did you do this? You know, and it was just, I did it my way. I cultivated the relationship with this candidate who said, I'm never going to work for another company and all these things. And long story short, made the placement and I hadn't made any contract placements and the president of the company and the partners decided that I just wasn't bringing enough money in, in the sense of what their standards were. I was bringing money in, but it wasn't to what they wanted to see. When I got laid off, you know, I started doing what I traditionally do and started applying to agencies, you know, all over again. And I was miserable in the application, but it's kind of like, if you only eat chicken, you don't know that there's, you know, salmon and shrimp and, and, you know, and all this other really good stuff that's good for you. And somebody serves it to you, you're just like, holy shit, this is 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 amazing. (laughs) Right, right. And so then I saw a posting with a previous client of mine and they were a full-time client, meaning that they only wanted full-time people not contracting. And I applied and they're like, oh my God, Jim, we'd love to talk to you. Long story short, I got the job. 
And we had the conversation. She's like, okay, so what's your rate? And you talk about anxiety. You talk about just... This was your first out of like, you had gotten laid off your first job. Yeah, this is my first, like, I got to go work for myself, 1099, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And I'm just like, you know, racking my brain. I hadn't been working for three or four months. So I came up with a number and I'm like, this will get me, get us over the hump, you know, so to speak. And I was like, she's going to freaking laugh at me. She's, I just had all these worst case scenarios in my head. I gave her the number and she's like, without hesitation, Oh, great. That's within our budget. I'll send out the contract ASAP. We can start. When can you start again? Yay! No. So that was my aha moment. That was my, what the heck have I been doing? You know, these last 10 years trying to fit in, trying to build numbers out most of the time lying, you know, because I just didn't care about this work, but I was trying with every heart of me to care about it. And the thing of it is, was that I was good at recruiting. I just wasn't good at that kind of recruiting. And I had to figure that out for myself. And I had to kind of had a come to Jesus conversation with myself and be like, okay, girl, what is it? And what is it that you want to continue to do? You know, and that's kind of the same conversation that I had with myself when I, I launched my company. I still recruit and I still, you know, consult companies, but you know, my passion is, is helping the individual and kind of giving back, if you will, you know, to that, because it literally blows me away at the level of, and I hate using this term just because it's, it's so saturated, but imposter syndrome and all of those things that we put in our head, all of the monkeys on our back, if you will, that we carry, you know, and because I've been through the journey that I've been through and I put myself through what I did, I'm able to have a lot of empathy towards the reasons why people are doing this. And I understand it and I can identify with it. And I'll tell them straight out, you're getting in your own way. You're this, you're that. I'm very, very direct. I don't hold any punches back because I just don't feel like you didn't engage with me at any level to to kind of sugarcoat it. That's not going to get you the result that you want. You're dealing with someone who has insight into this crazy industry can give you that if you're willing to learn. Like I've had one or two clients who push back at all different levels and I'm like, okay, well have a nice life. Best of luck to you, you know? And they'll come back and they'll be like, oh my you God. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. You know, this or that, or they'll send me a message. Can we talk? <laughs> and I'm like, no problem. You know, my door is always open, but. Well, they're very, very lucky to have you. Thank you. Yes. And if I was going to distill a message throughout all of this, you really on both sides of the coin are disrupting the automation of DE and I, because those are two terms that don't go together. So well done for you. How do people get a hold of you, Jim? How do they find you? We already know that you live on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, LinkedIn is one. Definitely. You can always just shoot me an email at gem at corporate in color and it's c-o-l-o-u-r consulting.com i'm probably going to change that because it's very difficult my website is in production so to speak right now probably going to change the domain but yeah literally linkedin is probably the best way to get hold of me i'm gem a garcia at corporate in color consulting please reach out i definitely would love to help it's just a matter of having a chat or whatever it is i'm definitely willing and and hopefully well we already know that you're willing yeah (laughs) even on the flows the ebbs and the flows right yeah for sure for sure well thank you so much that was awesome i love what you're doing great story thank you
That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed with Jim and me, go tell someone about this podcast. Go tell people to disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.